Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from me, one of Central Site Pastors, Paul Crutchley. Hi there. It's great to have you with us wherever you're tuning in from today as I continue the series that Alice started last week called Joseph, Faithful to God's Call, where we're looking at the Old Testament hero of the faith, Joseph, and his story that we find in Genesis. In the story so far, we've seen how Joseph had a clear picture in mind of the call that God had given him for his life. And it was this, that he would lead to such a degree that his family would bow down to him quite an audacious dream. And we saw that his brothers didn't take that too well and they plotted to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. Now, they were wrong in doing that. Let me just say that first. But I can understand why they were unhappy. You know, I grew up as the youngest of three. I grew up, I still am the youngest of three. I've got two older brothers. Uh, And I remember that they never needed any excuse to play a bit of rough and tumble with me, to rough me up a little bit. I actually remember this one time I was lying on the sofa um, in the living room and watching TV and for probably the first time in my life wasn't doing anything particularly annoying other than breathing too loudly. That was something my brother said I always did. Who knew? Anyway, (laughs) so I'm there, I'm lying on the sofa watching TV and my brother walks in the room, comes up to the sofa and with absolutely no interaction, jumps and knee drops me on the head. For no reason. Imagine if I had said to him, hey, one day you're going to bow down to me. I think I'd have ended up in Egypt too. Um, So anyway, as I said, what the brothers did was wrong, but I can understand why they were unhappy. So that's where we're picking up the story today. Jesus' brothers have sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites and they've taken him. And we're going to be in Genesis 39. So open up your Bibles there. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so it's nice and easy to find. Uh, So open up to Genesis 39. And whilst you're turning there, let me say that throughout the series, as we mention calling, and we're not always going to talk about calling, but as we do mention it, it's important that we remember that all of us have the same primary calling. And that is to love God, to love others, to make disciples and to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And I say that because there are specific things that the Lord calls each of us as individuals to do. But the reality is we all have the same primary calling. And I know that some of you watching this will be sat there thinking, well, I don't have this really specific idea of what God has called me to in my life. You know, I'm not like Joseph. I haven't had this dream where I have this crystal clear picture. And if that's you, that's okay, because you do have the call of God in your life. And it's this, it's to love him and to love others, to make disciples, to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And you can do that wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So that's the caveat out of the way. Let's jump into the passage where, as I said, Genesis 39, we're just going to read the first six verses to begin with. So verse one. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, say that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had to Joseph's care in Joseph's care. Then with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Let me just pray as we're going to unpack this. Spirit of God, I pray that you would anoint me with the words to speak as I unpack your scriptures this morning. And Lord, I pray for those watching or listening, wherever they're tuning in from, God, would their hearts be open to hear your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In Alice's talk last week, she explained how Jesus' attitude or heart posture was wrong when he first received the dream from God. You know, he made it all about him. He had this dream and he said, well, this is my brothers are going to bow down to me as I rise up and I become powerful. And so that was the, the setting, the framework that we, that we heard in Genesis 37. And then you get to Genesis 39, the next part of the story. And I love the contrast that happens in these six verses, because this passage is clear. Jesus' rise to power is due to God's blessing and favour on him. Because God was with Joseph, he prospered and had success. This passage is God-led. It's not Joseph-led. It's God-led. You know, here's Joseph, and he's got this crystal clear image of where he's headed in life. You know, he can see, I'm going to be a powerful leader. My family are going to bow down to me. And then he gets sold into slavery. Now, you know, I'm reading this into the text, but I would imagine that at this point, Joseph would be here thinking... God, what's going on here? Like, this does not seem to be part of the plan. You said I was going to be powerful and the people would bow down to me and you've sold me into slavery. Those are different things. What's going on, God? You know, imagine that he was getting pretty angry. That Maybe he was even doubting that the vision was ever from God. He was like, well, Lord, did you even give me that dream? What do we find out when Joseph is in this situation? When I would imagine he's feeling like his dreams have been shattered. When life doesn't look the way it it should, find that God was with him. It's a simple phrase. And one, you know, let's be honest, could feel even a bit trite given what's going on. You know, when we say this phrase, God with us, it's it's cool when we actually look at the Hebrew. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar in any stretch of the imagination. I studied Greek at university and studied it fairly badly. I didn't do Hebrew. So this is me borrowing other people's wisdom. But the Hebrew that's used in this passage uh, is not Elohim, which is the often used term for God in the Old Testament, but it's Yahweh. And Yahweh is God's name. Like Paul is my name, Yahweh is God's name. Yahweh is not a title, it's a name. And it's important why Yahweh is used and not Elohim, because Yahweh being used means that it points much more towards this personal, relational, experiential connection between God and Joseph. It means when you read this passage with Yahweh in instead of Elohim, it means you read it not as Joseph understanding theoretically that God was with him, but understanding that God as friend in a personal way was with Joseph. You know, the key points throughout the ups and downs of Genesis 39 is clearly God was with Joseph. It says it four times and we know when the Bible wants to make a clear point, it repeats itself. You know, and this should be an incredibly comforting thing. It's not a tribe thing that God, that Yahweh would be with us. 
that when life doesn't look the way it should, his comforting presence would draw near. And right now, you know, this is apt for us, isn't it? None of us expected life to look like it has done this year. Some of us will be feeling this more acutely than others right now, but the reality is for all of us, we have been affected. Whether it's big or small, our lives look different. Things have been shaken. And we learn from Joseph that in the midst of this, Yahweh is with us. That God in a personal, relational way has drawn near. You know, whereas in chapter 37, Joseph was me-focused, the shift here is that he is now he now understands that God is with him, that his blessing and his, his prospering is because of God. It's the shift of attitude, the shift of perspective. And this understanding allows Joseph to become a person of blessing in the midst of his storm. It allows him to resist temptation when it comes. We're going to get to that in a little bit. And to live faithfully in this foreign land. Remember, he has left the land of his home, left the land of his ancestors, left the, left the land where people worship the same God as him. He's in a totally foreign land. Yeah, he's living faithfully because he understands this. I saw a great example of what I think happened in Joseph's heart when I was watching Michael Mosley's How to Lose a Stone in 21 Days this week. Hear me out. Over the last couple of weeks, there's been this show on Channel 4 uh, with the science journalist, Dr. Michael Mosley, and his GP wife, Dr. Claire Bailey, where they have, um, they're using this rapid weight loss diet uh, to try and get five volunteers' health back on track post-lockdown. You know, many of us, lots of, I think they said a kind of crazy statistic of, oh no, I can't remember it now off the top of my head, but the amount of um, income that we've spent on biscuits, the amount of money we've spent on biscuits has gone up so much over lockdown, which, you know, at least 30% of that was me on Bourbons. But they, so they've got this rapid weight loss diet that they're experimenting with them. And one of the volunteers, Katie, who's in her early 30s, right at the beginning, they did a whole bunch of tests and she was surprised to find out that she was pre-diabetic. And in the episode this week on this Wednesday, she was talking about the difference um, that thinking about her health rather than her looks, has had in her attitude towards the diet. And she said this, It's much more of a motivation than just trying to get into a pair of trousers. You're looking at your kids, looking at your husband. You're thinking about everybody. And, and I want to be healthy. I want my body to change. I want at the end of this for all my results to be good. I don't want to be diabetic. Here's someone here who's tried other diets without success, but now... She's had this shift in her attitude. She's had a change of perspective. And that has changed how she wants to live. It's changed how, changed how she looks at life. It's changed how she looks at this diet. This shift of perspective, this change of motivation has led to the change in life. And this is what's happened to Joseph. He's encountered the living God. He's encountered God's presence drawing near to him. And it is affecting every area of his life. You know, if you think through the different areas of your life right now, you know, probably your job, your health, your diet, think about the program I was watching, your family, your hobbies, your dreams, your holidays, that kind of stuff. What is your motivation in each of those things? What's driving you? What, what's the guiding principle by which you make decisions in those areas? And as you begin to think about these things, are they centred on and informed by the truth that God, that Yahweh, is with you. Jumping back into the passage, we learn that Joseph was sold to Potiphar. 
And our English translations call him the captain of the guard, which to me, in, in kind of my cultural understanding, makes it sound a bit more like middle management, right? I don't know if that's the same for you, but he kind of got some responsibility. You know, he's got some people he looks after, but he's got a lot of people he reports to, you know, kind of in that middle zone. That's not right. This role was actually akin to being the commander in chief of the armed forces. So Potiphar is like the secretary of state for defense. He is very senior. And we learn in this passage, God's presence is with Joseph and cause, cause him to prosper in this place and rise to the rank of attendant. Now, again, I'd say the English here is slightly misleading because that doesn't sound super fancy, does it? But this role is actually more like the chief operating officer, which does make sense when you actually begin to read you know, the things that Joseph was in charge of. And ultimately, the Potiphar leaves almost everything in charge to Joseph. That sounds more like the role of a, a COA than an attendant. So what we have here is that Joseph was sold into slavery, but now that God is with him, is running one of the most powerful departments of one of the most powerful people in one of the most powerful empires of his day. That's pretty crazy. And we don't get an insight into Joseph's thoughts or feelings during this. You know, the scriptures don't give us much on that. But it's a safe assumption, I'd say, that he has responded well. You know, as he's kind of come into Potiphar's house, as he's dealt with all this upheaval, that he's actually responded fairly well. Because you know, think about it, that makes sense. If he was sulking all the time, if he'd fallen into a pit of despair, it would have been very unlikely that he would have been given this type of responsibility. So we don't have much of an indication about how he's responding. But what we do have a really clear picture of is that all of this is because Yahweh was with him. Because God's presence was near to him. His relational presence had drawn near and was causing him to be blessed and causing him to prosper in that place. Now, there's something that I love in this passage that's easy to miss, especially when uh, we're doing what we're doing this summer and we're just jumping into the story of Joseph. We're not looking uh, kind of what's happened before or what's happening after it. But if you do know the story of Genesis, you'll remember that God said to Abraham in Genesis 22, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Joseph is the first descendant of Abraham through whom we see God's blessing come to the nations. And Joseph isn't a prophet, as we might have expected. He isn't a priest, as we might expect. God chooses to bless a people in a foreign land who don't acknowledge him as God, effectively through a businessman. Now, hopefully, if you've been part of our church for any length of time, you, you know that we believe partnering with God and with his kingdom activity is a whole of life, every industry kind of thing. You know, we need people in business, in the arts, in government, in medicine, in law, in care, in hospitality, in education, in all spheres and all sectors. Partnering with God so that our nation will be blessed like that. We passionately believe that. And I love that right from the start of scripture, God makes really clear that there isn't this divide between the holy jobs in you know, what we would call church and back then they would have called the temple and the unholy jobs, the jobs out in society that just make things tick over and just how you earn a living. And he said, Lord, to the Lord, there's no distinction. In God's eyes, every industry can be sacred when we partner with him to bless those around us. But we can fall into that trap can't we? Where we do think, actually, oh, if I want to really use my talents for God, I've got to do it within the church. Now, look, don't get me wrong. We do always have to serve the church. That's, that's, a, that's a point in scripture. But it's worth thinking, you know, if, say if you're a musician, maybe the best way for you to worship God isn't for you to join the worship band, 
but is for you when we're allowed to again, to go out into the city and play gigs and bless the people of Cardiff. Maybe, you know, if you've got great administrative skills, it's, it's not to come and serve the church, but it's to work in a business and see them thrive. Now, I'm not saying you don't come and volunteer for church, all of those, you, you know my heart in this. But God gives Joseph power in this foreign land and Joseph partners with God and blesses Egypt. You know, this is Joseph in the midst of a storm. Remember this, you know, he's been sold into slavery by his family. That's a tough family dynamic, isn't it? It's easy for us to just go, oh, yeah, he was blessed and he, he prospered. But we've got to remember, he's just been sold by his brothers. He ends up in this foreign land, doesn't know who's going to buy him, gets brought into this household as a slave. And in the midst of that storm, God is with him. And because God is with him, Joseph's like, well, I'm, I'm going to be a person of blessing. In the midst of this storm, I'm going, to, I'm going to choose to bless the people around me. I'm going to choose to bless this household. And then as he gets more responsibility, he's like, well, I'm going to choose to bless. Uh, now, I, now I've got more responsibility. I'm going to bless the city. Now I'm going to bless the nation. He's a person of blessing in the midst of the storm. You know, many of us are in a storm right now, aren't we? You know, COVID has thrown our lives into the air, into turmoil. Some of us will have had dreams snatched away from us. Some of us will have had, you know, jobs taken away, that kind of thing. Our life is in the air. Whatever storm we're in, what, what does it look like for us to be a person of blessing? What does it look like to, to go, okay, well, actually, Joseph, you knew that God was with you when you were in the midst of your storm. Okay, okay, God, you're with me. How do I be a person of blessing now? Whatever's going on around me. You know, maybe as you're listening, you're actually thinking, actually, I've got some power in one of those sectors that I listed. Like, yeah, I've, I've got some influence in that. You know, I'd love for you to be thinking about, are you using your power to bless? to bring life, to bring restoration? Are you working with integrity, with honour, with grace? Because think about it. Think about the restoration that we would see in the city, in the nation of Wales, if all of the followers of Jesus raise up and with the power that they had been given in all of the industries and all of the sectors they work in, and they chase it, I'm going to bless. I'm going to be a person of blessing in this. I'm going to use all of my power and influence to bless those around me. Think about the change that would happen in society. Oh, it's exciting. So life at this point is starting to look better for Joseph. He's got a position of power. God is with him and his favour is on his work. Now, if you'd like, allow me to hypothesise again and read slightly into the, to the text. I could imagine at this point, Joseph might be kind of thinking, OK, God, I see what you're doing. You know, I didn't know what you were doing at first, but I see you've sold me into slavery to get me here into this household. And now you're giving me power and you're giving me influence. Your favours upon me. I get that. Okay, Lord, I don't quite understand where my brothers fit into it, but I see that you're here. Lord, I'm honouring you and you're blessing me. This is great. OK, maybe this was part of your plan. And he's beginning to feel good about himself. And what's going on? And then comes along Potiphar's wife. Let's pick up the story again at the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. There we go. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Again, our English here is a little bit soft. The Hebrew is actually much more like her demanding sex now, just as bluntly as that. Uh, but it says this in verse 8, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he aims, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld, uh, withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me again. Remember that sex now. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his, uh, his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And then in the next few verses, we read that she waits for Potiphar to come home. And then he throws Joseph in jail with the king's prisoners. Now, much can and has been said about this passage. Uh, you know, whole talks are given on fleeing sexual immorality, which is an important message for us to hear. And, you know, when I was first given this passage to preach on, I actually thought I was going to talk more about that. But I want to focus on how we see this shift in Joseph here and what this shows us for how we're to resist temptation and how we're to be people of blessing in the midst of the storm. You know, because it's easy to read a passage like this. And, and go, oh, I'd love to be like Jason. I'd love to have that kind of self-control, that integrity, to just run full pelt away from the temptation that we're facing. But, you know, for any of us, all of us, that have faced temptations of, of different kinds, we know that when we come face to face with it, it's actually really difficult to run away. So I want to look at why Joseph runs away. I want to look at why Joseph had great self-control, because it's clear he has great self-control. There's no denying that in this moment. But when most people think about self-control, they think it's a matter of the will and it's the case of looking inside ourselves and suppressing the desire to do something negative. So it's going, I'm going to look inside, say, say in this example, Jason, I'm just going to look inside and I'm going to suppress the desire to sleep with Potiphar. But that's not what's happening here. Jason does have great self-control, but he has it by looking outside of himself by looking to something greater in order to find the motivation to resist the temptation. He doesn't look inside to suppress his desire for Potiphar's wife. He looks outside to the things that matter so much more to him. He looks to his role and he says, you know, I've been given all of this responsibility. I, I love my job. I would not want to throw that away for this. I care too much about my job. But then see here, this is the key. Remember, he's in a foreign land here. He's in a place that, that doesn't acknowledge or worship his God, doesn't follow the same moral laws as he does. Yet he is really clear with Potiphar's wife. He says, I don't want to sin against God. Now, in effect, he's saying, how on earth could I offend the God of my life? The God he has blessed me, who has poured his favour on me. Everything I have here is because of my God and him being with me. This God, he was faithful to my ancestors. He's been faithful to my, to my father, to my father's father. I've, I've heard story after story of my God coming through for people. He has been so close and so present with me through all of my trials. He, he loves me. Why would I go against his will for my life? You're offering me sex to indulge my desires for a moment, but I have something so much greater. I have Yahweh with me and I don't want to trade that for a moment of pleasure with you. Now, Joseph resists this temptation because he has reordered his desires. He desires more for intimacy with God than intimacy with Potiphar's wife. In preparing for this talk, I listened to Tim Keller, he's an American pastor, and he talked about how we actually see this idea of outside motivation earlier in Genesis. 
In Genesis 29, verse 20, Joseph's father, Jacob, he works relentlessly in order to marry Rachel. But it says this brilliant thing. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. That's some self-control. You know, if you, when you read the story, you see that Jacob was put to work, relentless, without rest. And Jacob would have been like anyone else in that moment. He'd have felt the natural things that we'd have all felt. You know, I, I want to rest. I want a holiday. I, I want to go have some fun. You know, I, I feel self-pity that I've, I've been <laughs> made to work this much. You know, anybody would have felt these things. And he would have wanted the things that most people want, but not as much as he wanted Rachel. He had one overmastering desire and love and passion that put all of the others in their proper place. And this is the key. Self-control isn't the will suppressing the desires of the heart. It's the desires of the heart being reordered by an overmastering, passionate, supreme love. It's there being one defining desire that puts every other in its proper place. That was what was happening with Katie on that show, Lose a Stone in 21 Days. There was now a far greater thing in her mind being alive and healthy for her kids. You know, did that mean that she no longer desires unhealthy food for her? She loved chocolate bars and biscuits. No, she jokes about it in the episode. She has this whole tray packed full of them at her mum and dad's house. And she's like, oh, I want to eat one so bad. But what happens is there's something else she wants so much more. And that enables her to exercise self-control. And that's what's happening here with Joseph. Any young guy that has the advances of a woman time and time again is likely to feel tempted. But because Joseph understands the priorities of his desires, he is able to stand against them. You know, we need to understand this important point. You know, for both Joseph and Katie and for all of us, often when we face temptation, what happens in that moment is that our deepest desire is not our strongest desire. You know, for Katie, when she's opening that drawer of chocolate bars, I've been there opening drawers of biscuits and chocolate. Like, the desire in that moment is very strong. And we all know that to be true, don't we? And in that moment, if you're trying to live a healthy life, your deepest desire is to live healthy. But in that moment, your strongest desire is to eat a bourbon. At least that's the case for me. Say, a bourbon, more like half a pack. Or a whole pack. You know, it's, it's not bad, this. It's not bad, that. Ultimately... If you look inside and try and suppress your desires, you will succeed for a while, but you won't be able to keep it up. Real self-control doesn't come from the desires of the heart being suppressed by the will, but from all the loves of the heart being reordered by one supreme overmastering love that puts all the other loves in their place. You need a Rachel. Something that captures your imagination and your heart, a supreme love that puts all of the others in their place. You need a Rachel. That's what Joseph did. Joseph understood that being with God and God being with him meant he had access to something far greater than the world could offer. And because of that, Joseph, out of principle, was thrown in with the criminals. He was thrown in with the transgressors, even though he wasn't one of them. And this is a foreshadowing. Because Jesus was thrown in with the criminals, though he wasn't one. He was numbered with transgressors, though he wasn't one. But it wasn't out of principle when Jesus did it. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, 
in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did he give up heaven, uh, right hand at the, uh, the place of God? Why did he give up all of the majesty of that, come down to earth in the form of a child, live a life, suffer all the temptations, suffer all of the, the abuse and the beating and ultimately death on the cross? Why did he not run away when he was tempted to? When we, we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was tempted to not go through it. And why did he endure to the end? For us. We're his Rachel. We're the defining desire of his heart that put all of the other desires in their rightful place. When you see that, that we are the reason he would do it, it changes everything. Tim Keller put it like this, to the degree that you know you are his Rachel, he will become your Rachel. We were the reason, the overmastering passionate love. When you see that Jesus had that passion for you, you'll begin to have that passion for him. We love because he first loved us, is what it says in 1 John 4, 19. It was for us that he endured the cross. For us, for you, for me. That passionate love that he had meant that he wouldn't run away, that he wouldn't turn away when when the option was there. He said, no, there's a greater joy. I'm going to endure the cross for it. What temptations are you facing right now? You know, Joseph's here was sexual, but maybe for you it was how is how you use your power or how you use your money. Maybe you're being tempted right now to, to kind of take part in a less than honest business deal. I actually feel prophetically that someone listening is, yeah, is on the cusp of maybe signing or negotiating a less than honest business deal. And you're kind of there thinking, I don't really think anyone's going to know. No one, no one's really going to get hurt, even though you know that's not true. And actually at the heart of it, you want to have integrity before God. And you know, if you do this, you won't. So if that's you, I feel like this is the Lord saying to you, don't, don't go through with that deal. Whatever your temptation right now, what does it look like for you to focus on the great love that God has for you? that he would endure the cross for you? What would it look like to focus on that and let that become the defining truth, the defining desire of your heart? Maybe that's something to journey this week with your small group, if your small group meeting over summer, or just drop some of them a text and say, hey, can we talk about this? This is the kind of thing that is great to journey with people. To go, hey, help me see God's love for me. Help me see where the desires of my heart aren't matched up with the the desire of his. I mean, this is what Joseph understood that allowed him to resist the temptation in this moment. And this is what Joseph understood that allowed him to be a blessing in the midst of a storm. You know, we talked about that earlier, that when life did not look the way it should for Joseph, when everything was thrown up and he was sold into slavery, he, he was there and God was with him and he chose to be a person of blessing. And that's the same for us, you know, right now. COVID has thrown many of our lives up in the air. You know, I know some of you watching and listening will have, you know, honoured your jobs faithfully for years and years and years. And now redundancy has either come or is looming because of the economic crisis we find ourselves in. Maybe you're someone and you've been faithful with your money and you've saved and you've been wise. and, And actually now because of COVID, you've lost your job and you're looking at your bank account going, I'm running out of money. Maybe it's not 
COVID rates, maybe you're in a totally different storm. You've been praying for your kids, but they have just turned away from Jesus. And you've tried your best to raise them to love him, but they just seem to be walking away right now. And you're just feeling this storm of just disappointment. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're there and you're just really wrestling with anxiety and depression and doubt. And you just can't, whatever you do, you can't seem to get through it. But you're just feeling this emotional storm. You know, many of us will be in storms right now. And God being with us doesn't mean that we don't feel the emotion of it. It doesn't mean we don't feel the pain of it. It doesn't, doesn't mean that they're not very real and that they're not very, very difficult. But it means that we have his presence with us. We have that relational connection with him where the creator of the universe draws near. And as it says in the final part of this, when Joseph is in prison, it says, God was with him and showed him kindness. That's the type of God we have, that when we're in the midst of the storm, he shows us kindness. And that allows us to be people of blessing, whatever's going on. So what does it look like for you to be a person of blessing in the midst of your storm? But you see, understanding this also allowed Joseph, when he was given power, when he began to get his life back on track, to still be a person of, of blessing. He wasn't corrupted by the power that he was given. He used it to bless. So wherever we're at, what does it look like for us to come back to this truth that Yahweh is with us and to be a person of blessing? What does it look like for you this week to reflect on God's love? What does it look like for you to understand more fully that God loves you? You know, whether you've become a Christian today or whether you have been following Jesus for 80 years, reflecting on the fact that Jesus endured the cross for us is profound. And that would be my encouragement. This week, reflect on the cross. Look again to the scriptures. Read the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. Sing to him about what he endured on the cross. Reflect on it. Meditate on it. Let, it, let your soul just be taken up with the fact that the God of the universe would take on human flesh and then would endure the cross for you. And as I encourage you to do that, I want to leave you with one final point. And it's this, we read ourselves into scripture. And that's a, that's a good thing. And, you know, we've unpacked this passage. And, you know, within it, we're kind of looking at ourselves often as Joseph, aren't we? But the reality is we're Potiphar's wife. Joseph was thrown into prison because of Potiphar's wife's sin. Jesus endured the cross because of my sin, because of your sin. So actually, as we, as we sit here today, as we reflect, that makes it even more profound. Because Jesus was going, no, I love you so much. I love you so much. You just don't understand how much I love you. You're my Rachel. Whilst we were there being Potiphar's wife, living a life totally uh, abandoned to his ways, totally against his will, totally offensive to him. Yet he was still like, I love you so much. So much that I'm going to come and endure the cross. And it says that in that verse we read in Romans 5, that whilst we were still sinners, it says a, a few verses before that one, that we were powerless. Whilst we were powerless, Christ came and died for us. That is the beauty of the cross. And that is what I'm encouraging you and inviting you to reflect on this week. Because when we begin to understand that, and begin to understand that Yahweh, the God of the cross, is with us, it changes everything. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune into our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. 
We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church, and now, more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website, cardiffvineyard.org, and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.